This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Hi, this is Women Who Travel, a new podcast from Condé Nast Traveller that digs deep into the realities of travelling as a woman today and celebrates why we'll never stay home. I'm Lale Arakoglu, and this is my co-host, Meredith Carey. Hello, hello. For our fifth episode, we're joined by Traveller's Deputy Digital Director, Laura Redman, our Features Editor, Alex Postman, and Contributor, Anna Davies, who is joining us all the way from sunny and warm Costa Rica. I know, it's, I'm so jealous. It's, it's yeah, so, it's so 12 jealous. degrees here today in New York, although Minnesota's laughing at us, but like 12 is awful. It, it, I, it, I can't, I, I don't want to go outside. <laughs> I haven't been outside all day. I've been outside for <laughs> one minute. I specifically was walking to work this morning and turned around to find a way to go back inside because <laughs> I couldn't, my like Texas body is still after years I of just being take here the now. tunnels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All We're all mole people right I now well, in January and February. I thought like moving somewhere where I could walk to work was going to be a great idea. Um, uh, so far, it is tentatively not a great idea. Yeah, you <laughs> moved to a wind tunnel in lower not, Manhattan. It's not my brightest move. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so... New Year has brought in very cold weather. <laughs> <laughs> um, but today we're focusing on a theme that neither me or Meredith could really have many much insight into, which is traveling as a mother. And the one thing that Anna, Alex, and Laura will have in common is that they are mothers. Hooray. And travelers. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Two things. <laughs> two things. At least two things in common. We also like coffee and walking. <laughs> The basics, <laughs> yeah. the very basics. I'll seat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess kind of the softball that we want to start this with today is just, you know, how did becoming a mom, you guys are all at kind of different stages of being mothers, um, Laura with the most recent edition, um, but how did being a mom kind of change the way you went about traveling, period? Well, I, I also feel like I'm a total newcomer to this. I have a seven-month-old, and Alex and Anna, you guys have to tell me what to do <laughs> because I just attempted an international flight for the very first time with ha uh, Haley, my daughter, and I, th I feel like I learned a lot of things. I'm also very happy with how it went, but you know, how young were your kids when you first got on a flight? Well, so I'm representing for the moms of older kids so old they may not even qualify they're 18 <laughs> they 16 they're always your children <laughs> <laughs> and they were children <laughs> they were children yes becoming a mom slowed me down right away and I so admire your going to Paris with your eight-month-old because I wish I had done that we 
uh, took our kids on planes to, you know, to visit family, but I really didn't do anything ambitious for a very long time. But we d- what we did do was start to road trip a lot, um, with not just because um, five uh, international airplane tickets, let alone national domestic airplane tickets are expensive, but it just was so much easier to like make frequent stops and there's the serendipity along the way and kids love roadside hotels. And um, so we did a ton of road tripping. We've been to Montreal and Quebec. We've been down to South Carolina. We drove across country two years ago. Um, we drive to Chicago every summer. So um, I've, I've tried to, because I love to travel, I've tried to continue to sort of hit the road with them, but we had to just scale it back um, just in terms of what we could spend and what we felt like we could manage. And Anna, like probably the most ambitious kind of amazing uh, situation is yours um, because your daughter is at the beach right now because you like, guys are living in Costa Rica. Yeah, we are just in Costa Rica for the month. Um, So with my story, it's a little bit different. Um, I'm a single mom, and my daughter Lucy is two and a half, and she was conceived during what was supposed to be a year-long backpacking trip around the world. Um, And she came into the picture um, when I was about seven months into my trip. I found out I was pregnant, um, and that's a whole other story. But I actually spent most of my first trimester Uh, living in hostels and Airbnbs and trying to figure everything out and came back to the United States, back to New York where I live when I was about 10 weeks pregnant. So all during my pregnancy, I knew that I wanted to get back to traveling, knew that it was so fundamental to who I was and knew that it was something I really, really wanted Lucy to to learn and to love. I mean, that's her background, that's her heritage. Um, So our First actual trip on a plane um, was just when she was four months old. Was just to visit friends in Colorado, um, and I think sort of those baby steps of doing the domestic trip, the trip to family friends, um, really sort of made it seem like it was possible um, to go further. Um, you know, I know so many families around the world travel and just live nomadic existences. So last year, when Lucy was one and a half, we came to. Um, we came to Costa Rica for the month for the first time and it was amazing. So we replicated the trip this year and so far so good. It's just cool, chill, total per vida. I mean, Anna, you, uh, we were talking about this earlier. You inspired me to do what I did to get on a plane. We, we met up the last time. Yeah, you really did. We had had coffee and you told me your story and I was, I think maybe like in my second trimester at the time and uh, my, husband and I were already confronting the realities of scaling back our travel. Like kind of like you mentioned, Alex, you're used to being a certain kind of person. You're used to doing a certain kind of thing. And for us, we travel like in like crazy people. Um, No, differently. You know, we are absolutely manic and we would go to like three museums in a day, three cities in a week, um, just never stop, never sleep, live on coffee and wine and uh, you can't really do that yeah. when you're in your second trimester or when you have a newborn or kids. You just have to change your perspective. And uh, I yeah. I feel like that started to a degree. Um, you know, we got Haley on a plane because we've kind of figured this is who we are. And we really, truly can't change that fundamentally just because we have a baby now. Like we are going to not just want to, but kind of need to keep moving and so yeah. the, our version of scaling back was we went to Paris, which is a place we had very uh, luckily been to before. Uh, I feel grateful yeah. having, it, having done that. And 
we stayed in a neighborhood we'd stayed at and the hotel that we knew. So we figured that even if everything went to hell, like even if she didn't <laughs> sleep for a minute on the plane and her ears wouldn't pop and she had crazy jet lag and we couldn't find French food she would eat, um, we would still be in the R equivalent of Brooklyn and just be <laughs> able to like, putter around with her little stroller and like buy baguettes and ham for us and get her some like mashed bananas somewhere. Um, and it, it worked out fine. She was a trooper and it, that is inspiring but in the same way like you inspired me to just get out of the country um grow i'm gonna keep rambling but growing up i did a lot of road trips too we did a lot of domestic travel and i didn't get on a plane until i was 16. so i'm thinking about what i say to Haley when she's yelling at me for taking her to paris (laughs) when she couldn't remember it like then part of me like you know i grew up with parents my mom was a huge traveler and we've talked lolly and i've talked about our moms a lot on this podcast and we're only five episodes in but like moms have (laughs) played a pretty big role we'll we'll get them in on the podcast (laughs) one day um but i also did a ton of road trips my mom would drive my brother and i like from texas to north carolina every year for camp and it was just my i mean we just traveled with my mom um because my dad had to work and he couldn't take two weeks off to like putz around with us um But I think that like doing those road trips and spending that much time with my family is like such a formative way to travel so that when we did go out of the country and we did travel kind of bigger places, you know, we wanted to spend as much time together as we were used to spending in the car. Um, And that kind of, I guess, helped me figure out how I wanted to Totally. I think that creates sibling bonds like more tightly than almost anything else. Because at home, you're kind of all in your different corners at a certain when they're at a certain age. And in a car, well, when they're little, it's convenient because you can, like, you can change a diaper in the back seat. You're not supposed to, but you do. <laughs> um, you can, you know, we had a, we actually had a minivan. It's unsexy, but it was so no, practical for three kids. And I could get up like a flight attendant on the highway and hand out Teddy Grahams all the way back <laughs> in the back of the car. But, you know, sometimes they're beating the crap out of each other. But really, it's so formative. And um, you're just, they're forced to, to sort of deal with each other in this confined space and figure out how to get along. And so. You want them to feel like the comfort zone is very, very, like, small. Like, you ha- you want them to always kind of be okay being outside mm-hmm. the comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like you need to, uh, you, like you said, it's shared challenges, shared new experiences, and it's so different than just, you know, being at home sharing a room. <laughs> well, and I think it makes you bolder as well as you, as you're growing up. You know, I'm I'm an only child, so the, si- the sibling bond thing didn't really apply to me, but... Um, my parents traveled a lot when I was growing up and you know the first time I went on a plane I think I was about Haley's age um so while I don't remember it I think I think it sort of it made me feel like anything anything was possible and whether you're taking a road trip regularly or you're getting on a plane the idea of being able to go somewhere else doesn't seem like too crazy an idea and I, I think it also as an only child going to these new places and you know, whether it was in like a hotel or like a family house or something, I would be forced to be bolder because I would want to the, you know, the company of another kid. Um, so yeah. I'd have to like make friends with like random foreign children. <laughs> those big, those vacation friends that yeah. you remember. The people later. you meet at the pool. Yeah. Like. Exactly. Yeah. And you have this like intense friendship for three hours and then you <laughs> never see them again. <laughs> Do you feel like that's Lucy's new normal, Anna? Um. I hope so. Uh, like already back in Costa Rica, we're in the same town, um, Santa Teresa, and she already has some people who she remembers from last year. 
Um, you know, there's the son of a waitress who works at one of the restaurants and she remembered him, you know, and she was like, that's my friend, that's Corey. Um, and she has the same babysitter as last year. And right now, um, there's a camp that I'm thinking of sending her to here. And this is sort of where I go back and forth. Um, this is a camp, um, that she could go to next week for a couple hours every day, but it's mostly kids who live here. It's mostly local kids. So it would be in Spanish and she would be the youngest kid in the camp. Um, and she loves people. And I think in some ways I want to send her, but this is sort of where I feel like sometimes traveling with a kid can get tricky because I also tend to think about worst case scenarios, you know, then I get nervous because I know that they're going to the beach and they're going swimming, you know, and little. It's always just like how much risk do you take? Like how much is good risk and how much is sort of like maybe that's a little too far something, um, you know, that we should save until she's a little older. So I'd really be curious to hear um, Alex's thoughts on this since she's been there, done that with three kids, sort of how to manage that um, safety versus new experiences line, which I'm trying to figure out on this trip. Well, there's nothing like less relaxing than being at the beach or at the pool with three kids, like under <laughs> seven, let's say. <laughs> you cannot, you know, like sip a drink. You can't read a magazine. Um, I would say just in terms of like immersive um, kind of out there experiences, I, I sadly, my family hasn't done all that much. But like, for instance, we did some rappelling um at Zion National Park oh, yeah. a couple years oh, ago. Oh, that is so scary. And, yeah, and two of my kids were pretty terrified. And I would, you know, I just felt like it's safe. I mean, so I would, I would say just whether you're on a safari in Africa or, you know, bungee jumping in New Zealand, just make sure that you're, I would say, like with a, you know, a trustworthy uh, and insured operator. But so in this case, with the rappelling, I knew we were physically safe, but I thought it was yeah. like important to have them sort of challenge themselves and be terrified for a minute in a way that would probably result well and they would be proud of themselves and and kind of disbelieving that they had done it. So what yeah. did this trip entail exactly? Uh, well, this was the cross-country road trip of okay. three weeks where we flew to LA, bought a car, and drove it home. And no, this was, really? as my kids have gotten older, and I just thought this was one of those bucket list things, and I thought, do it now or never. Um, That's a great idea. <laughs> By the way, where are the taxes like? <laughs> we almost bought a car in Seattle and drove it home oh, really? for similar reasons. but <laughs> California taxes are high. Yeah. <laughs> also emission standard. But um, so, of course, I had in my head just this sort of like the ideal version of how this trip would go. And we visit like, oh, 11 national parks and hike every day and go to sort of Native American burial sites and all the stuff that I was super interested in. <laughs> um, not to mention the cities we would go through and eat incredibly well and go to museums. And um, we had took a kind of cockamamie route as a result, just trying to catch like national parks in Utah and then go down to Texas and across the South. Um, there, I, I will say that um, the the parks, they burned out on fast. Um, if I have one piece of advice, which you two are actually sort of doing by example, is start early because like whether it's nature or culture, it's sort of like introducing vegetables before fruit and baby food, you know? <laughs> Once they taste that like that pureed apple, they're never gonna have those peas, you know? <laughs> and so 
for nature and culture, just start them early, like go hiking, take them to museums, even in your own city. Um, because that way, when you have these expectations for like this ambitious itinerary and a, a, your valuable time off on a trip, they're not going to, they'll be less likely to like be bored out of their minds, complain, outright reject it, which they did to me. And we had to <laughs> drive through past I'm kind a of lot. surprised they bailed on national parks. Yeah. You'd think you'd be able to like run, pl- you know, climb, be outdoors be outdoors they're city kids they're, and they've had after like three days in utah zion and bryce and you know they were more on the agenda they were like no <laughs> we went to moab and we went you know biking and that was all i could get them to do um did they so, pull out like their ipads or iphones or something and just i mean i tried to at a certain point i find it hard to to regulate that um but uh you know, I just then I thought, well, let's find activities that they will find more interesting than just hiking. Um, but we another I don't mean to blab on here, but one other epic trip we took was I quit my job like seven years ago so that I could take them to Europe for seven weeks. And I blew my nest egg completely. That's what I'm doing now. <laughs> but that was I mean, talk about like the, the bucket list. It was like you know, Sweden, France, Italy, Greece, and all these things we were going to do and all these incredible like museums and experiences. And we got to the Loire Valley, or maybe this beginning of the second week at a castle. And I thought, well, this is gonna be perfect. The boys will love like the armor and the like medieval vibe. And my daughter who was like five will love the princessy thing. They refused to go in. They said, this is the stupidest, most boring thing we've ever done. We want to go home. I, of course, had a total meltdown in tears, like, I quit my job (laughs) on this trip. (laughs) So the sort of learning from that was just like, it has to be, you have to remember that kids don't have the stamina or the same interest that you do and Mm -hmm. find stuff like just balance between stuff you know kids will truly like. We went to a lot of mini golf places in Europe, you know, (laughs) bouncy castles and, and balanced it with culture. And that was sort of the happy medium. That that's a great point because I feel like right now when Haley's little, we're just dragging her along through our life, right? And we yeah. put her in her stroller and we hope she'll sleep in the museum. She's been to so many museums. I don't know why. We kind of feel like that's going to be an easy thing with an infant, but every t- every now and then she'll just squawk and it'll echo <laughs> around a beautiful <laughs> gallery. And I'm like, oops, <laughs> sorry, patrons of the arts. But I I think it, you know another thing we did in Paris. We went to. Um, Centre Pompidou for one very long rainy day right before we came home. I think we were at the Pompidou for six hours. And it started with an hour of just getting in the door and getting to find like a changing station and then <laughs> and food and giving her a bottle. And then another hour was spent at the Galerie des Enfants, which was like this little kid's play area. And for me, again, this is new and all parents out there are like, duh, go to the play area. <laughs> but again, dragging her to museums. Um, so we spent a lot of time just letting her walk up, toddle around this little play area. Then maybe we spent an hour in an exhibit, and that was it. But we spent most of our yeah. time just kind of exploring the nooks and crannies of uh, this new place, which was just as in- interesting to her as the m- exhibit was to us. So I'm wondering, Laura, um, in terms of since Paris is a place that you and your husband have both been a lot of times, like how else was this trip different and did you ever feel a little bit like frustrated or like oh I wish that we could do this but you know it's tricky with an infant and sort of how did you handle those um sort of fear of missing out feelings because I know that I experience that sometimes when I'm with Lucy that I love being with her but I'm like oh like if she wasn't here I could do this cool thing oh totally and I mean 
New Year's Eve was like a whole host of emotions, but um, we, <laughs> we really, okay, two things. Um, we had been to Harry's New York bar, which we bring our baby to bars. Everyone, I'm just saying that. We bring her all the time. And we, we Start had, him early. Like, right. <laughs> um, we spent a little time drinking whiskey. It was in the afternoon. It was happy hour. And I was like, this place would probably be great on New Year's Eve. Like, old me would have been like, Greg, let's get there. We'll stay until two, you know. Um, obviously can't do that with a baby on New Year's Eve. But we did make dinner reservations. So this was um, a reconciliation to ourselves. So we made reservations at Le Comptoir in the in St. Germain, which was right next to the hotel we were staying at. We couldn't find a babysitter, but we did bring an Amazon cloud cam. And I swear I'm not getting paid to say this. Like we bought a cloud cam and it's a monitor. It doubles as a monitor as well as like a creepy cam. <laughs> um, but it has an app that you can use on Wi-Fi. So we trained the monitor on uh, on Haley in her crib. Social services, please don't come in and take her. Um, and we left her in the hotel room asleep went downstairs to eat our New Year's Eve dinner and came back up Phone right before. Phone fully that is, open. No, <laughs> that is a great tip. I've done it too That's in brilliant. hotels. Really? Yes. Okay, that yeah. makes me feel better because it took me two <laughs> drinks to like stop asking Greg to see. If I she kept, was okay. I kept calling it like Haley TV. <laughs> when did you do it? Did um, years ago with just a you know regular baby monitor, okay. but if you're within the building or you know one, mm-hmm. one storefront down, I mean, you can make it up there really right? fast. It's kind of like if you <laughs> yeah. lived in a really big house. Or like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you have to get to the other side of the really big house. We don't. But this is how rich people raise <laughs> Um, Kind of going off of that FOMO question, but a little different. Like, have you guys ever felt um, like there was like some sort of stigma towards travel? Like, do you feel like when you bring Haley into bars or into museums or if you, Anna, are like sending Lucy to camp or you're leaving, you know, your kids with your monitor or what, like what, even if you're just traveling with your kids, do you ever feel like there's a stigma around like, you know, you traveling with your kids at all? I don't know if it's real or perceived. I think perception is kind of everything. Like the flying with a kid thing I don't know if everyone's really that upset if your baby screams for like five seconds. If she cries for a long time, yes, everyone's everyone's upset, including the parents. But I, I don't know. What do you guys think? I've never, I don't know. I've never really experienced any sort of stigma that I know of. I do know that one time in one of those play areas at a museum, I also had to get work done while taking care of Lucy. So I plugged in my laptop and did a conference call from a play area. And I did get some looks from other parents. <laughs> but, um, you I, know, you do. <laughs> I think that's just like, like, like kind of like badass boss move yeah, is yeah. just like, I'm going to do my work and watch my kids. I, I thought of like play area politics and like <laughs> etiquette rules. I think most other cultures are much more embracing of kids than America. Well, that was, yeah. I, I was I interested to know actually just from the different places that the three of you have traveled and obviously Laura, you, Paris was the first one, but um, you know, how, how, how different is it in different um, parts of the world? You know, I definitely, I don't have a child, but I see the differences between just the UK and the US every day, and they're not even that starkly different um, culturally. So I'd love to know kind of, and how it's opened your eyes as parents. 
Yeah, well, like, for instance, I think, like, the Italians and the Greeks love kids. And I, you know, and I have an image of being at a restaurant in Greece at, like, midnight because, you know, you don't go out to dinner until 1030. And the kids, like, one is asleep in a chair and the two others are, like, playing with a soccer ball right outside at a restaurant by the beach. And it was fine. And the the waiters were, would, like, kick the soccer ball with them. And it, I, and, and you know, that's a resorty kind of a place. But I've I've heard the same said in in Africa and parts of Northern Europe. Mexico I just, too. Yeah. I've heard. Yeah, I think it's just much much more relaxed attitude towards kids elsewhere. Right, and at the same time, I do think that you know to make broad generalizations, I think in other parts of the world, parents are not quite as kid centric as they mm-hmm. are in the U.S. You know, and I think that you saw a lot of that um, when everyone started reading Bringing Up Baby. Yeah, by that's Pamela what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, um, you know, kids are part of the family and you go out as a family. But, you know, if you're going out to dinner, the kid is, you know, kids in other countries. We were just in um, Denmark and Sweden right before Christmas. Um, You know, again, and that's a very... um, family-friendly culture, but, you know, you see kids sitting nicely at the table. They're, you know, maybe they're coloring, but they don't have their iPad. You know, their parents are engaged in adult conversation. And I think that there is, in a lot of countries, an expectation that a kid will sort of follow along with what the parents do and what the parents' plan dictates, um, you know, and not have such a kid-centric itinerary. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's a big difference. And I think that it's an inspiring difference. You know, I think that um, what Alex was saying earlier about being able to balance going to the bouncy houses and the mini golf and then being like, okay, you do, you know, we're doing this for you and then we're going to do um, what's interesting for us. I think that that's a really great balance to try to aim for in traveling with a child. Well, I wonder where this impulse for kids to be seen but not heard like truly, truly comes from and why it extends to dinner time, right? Like I feel like as a new parent, I... I have this innate sense that I need my my child to be quiet. But kids babble. They vote I me mean, when they're really little. They're just tr- trying out new sounds to see which one works for them, you know, and and they'll cry and they'll they don't play by the same rules. So why do we expect them to, you know? This is really weird, but like one of my favorite things at restaurants with booths is like to be like happily eating my dinner like with my friends and then have like some toddler <laughs> oh, like yeah. pop yeah. up <laughs> over the booth. It is like such a pleasant surprise. Less, less fun on the airplane. Oh my gosh. Though, yeah, it's a seat that's in front of you. fair. But I'm and maybe that's just me like, you know, I worked as a nanny for a long time and and love kids, but I I like I'm also the person that like talks to people on planes, so I like <laughs> kind of that like s- sense of excitement that I feel like adults don't have about very normal things like dinner or like no, it's a great point. They lighten every mood, yeah. right? You could be in the most serious. I don't know. I go to church and then the kids will scream. Yeah, scream and it, it makes it funny. It makes like a, a mass for an hour fun, right? Funny. And I think conversely, some cultures can actually put your kids on their toes a little bit. Like we went to London last spring um, and it was the first time two of my kids had been. And um, it just felt like a much more sort of buttoned up culture to them. And maybe it was also, you know, it was over Easter break and Mm -hmm. they were on their best behavior. Like we were, I remember having dinner at the Wolseley and everybody was just like acting so mature and there was no fight (laughs) over button down shirts to get there. I feel like like I have to be like that at the Wolseley. (laughs) (laughs) But it was just, it surprised me. I feel like I would have gotten more attitude at home, but I think everybody sort of rose the occasion because this was London, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I I wonder if, um, 
do you, do you guys have an opinion on France? Because before I went, everyone kept asking me, like, do you think this is such a broad generalization, but do you think the French will be apathetic towards Haley? And I was like, I don't know. Are all the French going to act the same way to my daughter? No. Um, but I'm, generally speaking, we kind of just went about our day and she didn't get a second glance. And except for in the hotel and the restaurant we went to often where it became a bit like family, you know, and they were all asking, yeah. how's, how's Ellie? That's the baby. And <laughs> that's how she said. <laughs> um, but otherwise, I don't know. I think my kid's pretty cute and she gets a lot of comments in the U.S., um, but in France, she was just like, you know, people had to get about their day. Maybe it's big city versus small city, or is it really cultural, or is it, I don't know. I mean, she's growing up in New York, so I feel like they're both big cities. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's a good point. Yeah. But I think the French generally take a while to warm up to anybody, yeah. <laughs> strangers. <Yeah. laughs> um, I mean, I, I just say, I feel like that's the same difference since that in the U.S., someone will talk to you in an elevator, and in the UK, mm -hmm. if they do that to you, you think they're insane and you get <laughs> out as soon as you can. <laughs> like, you're like on like in Elf when you just like hit the button for the next yeah. floor. <laughs> just like, it's, time. it's time. Why are they talking to me? <laughs> um, this is kind of like a two point question, which is how have like your travels as an adult kind of shaped what you want to show your children or what you have shown them? And then how did how your parents raised you in travel or without that kind of made you also want to pass those traits on to your kids? Very broad question. And, like and question. Just, just to add as well, like things that perhaps you think you missed out on um, that you really want to, you wanted to give your kids or want to give your kids. Yeah, I like that question right. too. Anna, do you want to take it first? Yeah, I mean, I think that for me, I am, I've always had a backpacker soul. I love staying in hostels. Um, I love meeting new people. I love um, just experiencing the culture of a new place and sort of doing it in a low budget, like feet on the ground type of way. Um, so I remember when I was pregnant, one of the things that really inspired me to start traveling as soon as possible with Lucy is my brother was helping me um, organize my apartment and he found my um, backpacking backpack and he was just like, I bet this won't be used until Lucy goes to college. I'm like, nope. Ooh, Ooh that is a that challenge. <laughs> that is motivating. <laughs> Um, so I still, like when I um, travel with Lucy, I still just pack an oversized backpack. Um, you know, we pack so little. Like I think that, you know, I belong to a lot of parent Facebook groups and I um, do a lot of writing for, for moms and people think they need so much stuff to travel and you really don't. Like I actually, I only packed on this trip, I packed two pairs of shorts and like three dresses for Lucy. Um, I forgot T-shirts. I need to buy some. I saw her. Um, I saw her heading to the beach with um, with Gabby, her babysitter, and she was actually wearing one of my tank tops as a dress. Um, so it's like that's one of the magical things about traveling with a child is you can adapt and go with the flow. And like as far for me, I've always been a traveler. My um, my father is from England. Um, and he didn't move here until he was an adult. So we have a lot of family in the UK. So growing up, we were always going back and forth. Um, you know, so traveling was never foreign to me, but I definitely um, want to get Lucy more off the beaten path and more um, backpacker, like her Instagram handle is baby backpacker. So I just want to keep on, um, yeah, just, just going where, 
to places that sound interesting. I don't do a lot of research before. Um, I just sort of choose a place that sounds interesting and hope it works out. And so far, knock on wood, it's been working out. Me, go with the flow and buy it when you get there, I feel like are two totally, very yeah. important mantras. Yeah. I think that's a big obstacle for a lot of would-be travelers. You think, oh, it's a, you know, it's it's such an undertaking and I need to bring, well, once you're out of diapers and bottles, but you can buy those there too if you forget. Right. That you have to be yeah. you have to be okay with accepting the fact that everyone else has the same thing, but yeah. it's not exactly the same as right. what you're using. Like right. there are babies everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> right, which is kind of fascinating to like try French diapers, for instance. It is. You know, you know what I found out? They're not as absorbent. I think um kind of going off what you're saying, Anna, like you were you were born a backpacker. I I grew up just doing road trips to Disney World a lot with my family <laughs> and my I think of my family as very curious and spirited and adventurous but you know flying was really expensive and when you mm-hmm. have a couple kids and you know that's just you take your annual vacation um, and then we lived at the beach so we went to the beach in the summer that was that was how we spent our life and I didn't really start going internationally until I was gosh Actually, it was 20. My very first international flight was when I went to study abroad in college to uh, Melbourne, Australia. And oh, wow. Um, like, think about that. Like, I could have just, I don't know, gone to Canada somewhere <laughs> for a little bit, but I decided to go to the other side of the world. And I think um, that even if your parents weren't hopping on planes once a month, the spirit, the values that they have are kind of like passed down. And for me, it was like my parents wanted me to learn as much as I could constantly. And I think we're doing that now just in a different frame of reference. I feel like I grew up with an overriding sense of FOMO because um, I grew up here in Manhattan, fairly privileged environment. And all my friends' families traveled constantly and my family didn't, uh, which was mainly a financial issue. And as soon as I was able to, I started traveling like to make up for lost time, like by myself, um, you know, junior year, summer after high school and constantly thereafter, Turkey, India, everywhere I could get to on my own. Um, And I feel like what I learned from that, I sort of feel like you could blindfold me and drop me down anywhere in the world and I would be fine. I could find my way home and I would enjoy it. And whether it's resiliency or or resourcefulness or or what have you, or just confidence, self-confidence, I feel like I got all that from travel. And so even though really ambitious travel was too expensive for us as a family of five for many years, as soon as my kids got older and were the age where they could do something themselves, I have been not just encouraging them, but sort of like pushing them. <laughs> and um, my uh, oldest son just did his um, Europe backpacking trip last summer, the sort of rite of passage after graduating high school. And these days you do it by like flying Ryanair all over right. Europe. You know, we would have get a URL pass and just wake up in a different city and not really be sure where we were going. But um, <laughs> still, he, he had a great time and, you know, it, had some challenges which were good to have worked through and uh you know some disappointments like full hostel well where are you going to sleep and i think all of that stuff is just so important for kids to to learn especially our coddled exactly (laughs) overweened children today let me ask you really quickly alex how often did he check in with you and what was that like because i imagine that you know even for you know, you who traveled and knew exactly, you know, what he was doing, like that would be scary. Like when you're so used to being able to be in touch with someone, like would you get, were there ever times when you would get nervous because you hadn't heard from him or you weren't sure where he was or could you sort of let that go? It's so funny you ask that because I would tell him about how 
like on on my college trip um you know we'd like go to a payphone with a card or actually those were the days i think <laughs> you had to go to the post office and place a call and like they would tell you to come back in three hours um and so i i was comfortable not checking in with him he would text every couple of days my husband i think had a little more trouble cutting the cord <laughs> and was pretty regularly texting to make sure he'd gotten where he's going and you know i it wasn't like you know checking his curfew at night but i I was confident in his judgment and comfortable with not knowing where he was. So I was not initiating too much texting. But you're right. We're so accustomed. He's in college now. We're so accustomed to being in such regular touch with our kids. And I think how weird that I'm texting him every couple of days to ask how he is when I feel like I went for weeks without talking to my parents. Yeah, months for my younger yeah. brother. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because when I moved to New York, my mom told me that she had a bunch of people sort of say like, oh, you must be so sad. Like, you must miss her so much. It must be so difficult for you to have her across, you know, on the other side of the Atlantic. And she said her response was always like, no, I did my job. Like, this is what I wanted to happen. Right. I wanted her to be independent and to do her own thing and to not call me every day. Mm -hmm. Like, I have succeeded. <laughs> right, I point. will say that my um, my dad is kind of similar. Um, I would guess to your husband because I I when I went abroad I didn't have access to my phone I was on a ship and and didn't have a lot of service so I only could correspond via email and um I checked in you know like once a week or if I like got to a new country or whatever and there was one like the only time I ever turned on my service and like texted my mom was when I was I was in a bus station um, with the homeless population at Rabat in Morocco <laughs> and was just like, I think this is one of those moments when I'd like someone to know where I am. And her <laughs> friends were all like, oh my gosh, I would never have wanted to get that text because I would have been so worried. And she's like, no, like she knows like when it's time to text me. And she just wanted to know <laughs> me to know where she was. And she was like super chill about it. My dad was uh, not super excited. Um, <laughs> but Less is more. I but think. Uh, yeah. I think, I don't know, I, I on my big road trips around Australia, I, ugh, sorry, mom and dad, I um, <laughs> did a 10-day extreme adventure. That's what it was actually called. And in the course of one day, I went skydiving and bungee jumping. <gasps> oh, my gosh. And I didn't tell them until, like, the next day. I called them and just said, you're just going to see this on your credit card. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm okay because I did it. They, they're like, don't ever tell me right before you do that, ever. They're like... <laughs> We don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, I went to Ecuador and they have this thing. It's kind of like bungee jumping, but they just kind of tie a cord around your, you like get attached to a cord around your ankles and then you like jump off of a uh, a bridge and then you swing. It's like not, you're not bouncing. You just like go out and then you free swing back and forth and then they kind of pull you in. Um, but yeah, I waited till I got back home. <laughs> I didn't even, it was much longer than a day to just be like, look at these cool photos, guys. And they were like, what the hell are you doing? There's some stuff I'm only just, telling my parents about <laughs> on this podcast are you slowly feeding it out you know like it was this time are your, are your parents listening yet <laughs> but <laughs> I feel like I'm learning stuff about like my parents traveling when they were my age um and younger you know now too and I think it's just as inspiring to feel like they were as engaged even if it was just domestic um which is you know sometimes just as important to experience uh and to feel, to understand how the world has changed, them. Mm -hmm. whether it's simple, like, you know, the shifting of 
borders, not simple, but like whether it's a physical matter of shifting of borders or or like, well, in our day, we, we had to go to the post office to place a call. <laughs> home, <you know? laughs> it's all interesting. Well, and to that point of, you know, how the world has changed, why do you think in you know, the start of 2018, why do you think it's important for your kids to travel now in 2018 in this time that we live in? To know that everyone is not just like them. I think it's, I don't know, like I was saying before about your comfort zone, like I want Haley to have the tiniest comfort zone. I want her to be able to step outside it all the time and think that's normal. Um, I don't know if that's going to be the case. She's going to be in one place going to school for like a long time. So who knows, Alex, you've, you have kids in college. Like Yeah, well, I, and I think just to at a moment when our, our country is in this moment of, of, you know, putting up walls and, uh, you know, sort of this xenophobic vibe, uh, sort of entrenched nationalism. Um, I just think it's so important for our kids to to get out farther and farther to understand cultures, to, to see and experience firsthand cultures that are different from ours. People look different. They talk different. They have different values, different religions, and to actually experience those firsthand. And one thing that just sort of came to mind was when the kids were little, I got them, I did sign up for one of those pen pal things where you, like that Jack Nicholson movie. (laughs) And um, my older son uh, was paired with a boy in Brazil who was his age, who was a waiter, um, maybe 12 years old. And then my younger son um, was paired with a boy in Sierra Leone, and God only knows what that kid had lived through. And the letters we would get from the kid's uncle would talk about so much of it was about the rainfall and you know how much rain and the crop how the crops were doing it didn't really impact them i would sort of read these earnestly to them like hoping that they would it would give them a sort of greater perspective on their privilege on their just sort of sort of reflecting on um their daily life versus the kids daily life and it i don't know that it really like hit them in the way that i had hoped and expected and i think through travel and physically seeing especially for kids seeing other kids um who are living very differently is is really the way to 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 have these ideas sink in well and i think also to another really important thing about traveling and going to different parts of the world is as well as seeing new cultures and understanding different types of people it's learning how you as a nationality and as a country are perceived as well Mm -hmm. which i think can be quite easy to forget yeah and anna you guys spend so much time out of the country what what is your point of view on that yeah i mean i agree both with what laura and alex feel i also think that in the u.s and especially you know based in new york city there's such a um to me, there's such a limited sort of view of what success looks like or sort of what your path to be growing up looks like. Like, I remember even um, at, you know, right after Lucy was born at my um, six-week doctor appointment, my OB was like, maybe she'll be a doctor when she grows up. And I was just like, I really want her to be a professional surfer. Um, and my <laughs> other um, she, like, started laughing. But you know what? Like, I... I don't want to push Lucy in any way, but like I truly do want her to be able to find her happiness, you know, and I think that sometimes when you're living in a city that is very driven and very ambitious, you can sort of get very myopic into what your goals are, you know, and for kids, it's good going to a good college, getting a good job, you know, and I think that they see sort of these steps lined up for them. So, you know, even though I have no plans to, 
move in the foreseeable future. And I think that we will be based in the New York City area for, you know, at least the next couple of years. I would like her to see these alternate routes and these, um, you know, the idea you don't need to follow this one prescribed path to be happy or be quote unquote successful. I love that. Me too. That's a good point to Yeah, a good, uh, good pin to, <laughs> to stick in the board. Does everyone want to go around and say where people can find you on the internet? I'm at Oh Hey There Mayor. I'm at Lale Hannah on Instagram. I'm at Laura underscore Redman on Instagram and Danan825 on Twitter. This is Alex and I'm at Wordmover. And where are you, Anna? I am Baby Backpacker on Instagram. So great. I know. I'm jealous you got that. <laughs> I'm going to follow you right now. And before we wrap up, I just want to give a quick shout out to Iceland, which officially made it illegal to pay women less than men. So thank you guys uh, for joining us. And uh, you can find Women Who Travel anywhere that you listen to podcasts because you're obviously listening to a podcast right now. And you can find our other podcast, Travelogue, wherever you're listening to Women Who Travel. Uh, we will be back next week. And you can find all of our content, including a great story that Anna wrote on cntraveler.com. Thank you and have a great week. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Oh. Really excited to see... Whether I can read the Iliad again, whether I'm that literate, I'm, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth.